this is an unabridged reading of the book Elpis Israel the rudiments of the world chapter 1 the necessity of a revelation revolving upon its own axis and describing an ample circuit for the boundless fields of space is a planet of the solar system bearing upon its surface a population of nearly a thousand millions subject to sin disease and death this orb of the starry heavens shines with a glory similar to that of its kindred spheres viewed from them it is seen sparkling like a diamond in the sky and the rest of the heavens declares the glory of God and shows forth the handiwork of him that did create it this celestial orb which is a world or system of itself is styled the earth it is the habitation of races of animals which graze its fields lurk in its forests soar through its atmosphere and pass through the paths of its seas at the head of all these is a creature like themselves animal sensual and mortal he is called man he has replenished the earth and subdued it and filled it with his renown his crimes however rather than his virtues have illustrated and distinguished him with an unhappy preeminence above all other created things his heart is evil and left to its uncontrolled impulses he becomes licentious merciless and more cruel than the fiercest beast of prey such is the being that claims the independent sovereignty of the globe he has founded dominions principalities and powers he has built great cities and vaunted himself in the works of his hands saying are not these by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty he repudiates all lordship over him and claims the inalienable and inherent right of self-government and of establishing whatever civil and ecclesiastical institutions are best suited to his sensuality and caprice hence at successive periods of the earth has become the arena of fierce and pandemonic conflicts its tragedies have baptized its earth in blood and the mingled cries of the oppressor and the victim have ascended to the throne of the most high skilled in the wisdom which comes from beneath he is by nature ignorant of that which is first pure then peaceable gentle and easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy this is a disposition to which the animal man under guidance of his fleshly mind has no affinity 
His propensity is to obey the lust of his nature and to do its evil works, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, sex, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. All these make up the character of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, upon which is enstamped the seal of God's eternal reprobation. They who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but they shall die. Such is the world of humankind. The great impious enemy of God upon the earth. His mind, its mind is not subject to his law, neither indeed can it be. What shall we say to these things? Is the world as we behold it a finality? Are generations of men rebellious against God and destroyers of the earth to occupy it successively through the endless series of ages? Are men to repeat the history of the past forever? Is the earth always to be cursed, and sin and death to reign victorious? Who can answer these inquiries? If we survey the starry canopy, thence no sign or voice is given expressive of the truth. They declare the eternal power and divinity of their creator, but they speak not of the destiny of the earth. Or of man upon it. If we question the mountains and the hills, the plains and the valleys, the rivers, seas and oceans of the earth, and demand their origin, why they were produced, to what end they were created, their rocks, their strata, their fossils or deposits, afford us no response. Turn we to man and ask him, Whence camest thou, and what is thy destiny? Whence all the evil of thy nature? Why art thou mortal? Who made thee? Who involved thee in this widespread ruin and calamity on every side? Ask an infant of days the history of the past, and he can as well detail it as man can answer these inquiries without a revelation from him who is before all, and to whom is known from the beginning all he intends shall come to pass. So true it is that unaided by light from heaven, since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee what is prepared for him that waiteth for him. But adds the apostle in his comment upon these words of the prophet, God hath revealed these things unto us by his Spirit, which things we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, interpreting spiritual things in spiritual words. 
to the Bible, then, all must come at last, if he would to be truly wise in spiritual things. This is a great truth, which few of the sons of men have learned to appreciate according to its importance. A man may be a theologian, profoundly skilled in all wisdom of divinity, but he may be well versed in mythology of the heathen world, be able to speak all languages of the nations, compute the distances of orb from orb, and weigh them in the scales of rigid calculation. He may know all science and be able to solve all mysteries. But if, with all this, he be ignorant of the things of the Spirit, if he know not the true meaning of the Bible, he seemeth only to be wise, while he is, in fact, a fool. Therefore the Apostle saith, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men. If our contemporaries would only attain to the adoption of this great precept, let no man glory in men. They would be overleaped a barrier, which as a fatal obstacle pretends, prevents myriads from understanding and obeying the truth. But while God lightly esteems the wisdom of the reputed wise, There is a wisdom, which he invites all men to embrace. This is styled the wisdom of God in a mystery. It is also termed the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world, which none of the princes of this world knew. It is said to be hidden in a mystery, because until the apostolic age, it was not clearly made known. This will appear from the following texts. Now to him that is of the power to establish you according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret in the times of the ages, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Romans 16:25 and 26 By revelation, God made known unto me, Paul, the mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Here is the knowledge of God, in which are contained the exceeding great and precious promises, the understanding of which is able to make a man wise, and a partaker of divine nature. Now, although these hidden things have been clearly made known, they still continued to be styled the mystery, not because of their unintelligibility, but because they were once secret. Hence, the things preached unto the Gentiles, and by them believed, are styled by Paul, 
the mystery of the faith and the mystery of godliness. Some of the items of which he enumerates, such as God manifest in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 1 Timothy 3, 9 and 16. Thus, an intelligible mystery characterizes the once hidden mystery of God and becomes the subject matter of enlightened faith. This, however, is not the case with regard to religious systems, which are not of the truth. Unintelligible mystery is the ultima ratio for all difficulties which are insolvable by the symbols of ecclesiastical communities, whose text of universal application is, the secret things belong to God, but the things which are revealed to us and to our children. This is true, but then, these things which were secret in the days of Moses have been revealed by God to the prophets and apostles for our information. No one has any right to set up his own ignorance as the limit of what God hath revealed. A thing may be unknown to such a man, but it doth not therefore allow that it is either absolutely unintelligible or a secret. He may know not he may not know of it, or if explained to him he may not have the intellect enough to comprehend it, or his prejudices or sectarian bias may darken his understanding. This by no means makes a thing unintelligible or mysterious to other people. All that such persons have a right to say is, we do not know anything about it. They may confess their own ignorance and resolve to look into it, or not, but they are presumptuously overstepping the bounds of propriety to venture to do more. This, however, is not the practice of those who have no secondary interest to serve apart from the truth. They only desire to know that they may believe and do, but where to know more would jeopardize the veterous interests of a sect and extort the confession of its leaders and members, that they were in error and knew not the truth. Investigation is discouraged and things prescribed as too speculative and mysterious for comprehension, or, if understood, of no practical utility. In this way, mankind enfolds themselves as a, in a mantle of their self-esteem. They repress all progress and glorify their own ignorance by detracting from things which they fear to look into, or apprehend as far above their reach. Beside glorying in men, this unfortunate peculiarity of the human mind had developed the organization of a system of things imperiously hostile to the institutions and wisdom of Yahweh. It is a system of many subordinate parts. It is animated by one spirit, which under various modifications pervades and actuates the whole. It is an evil spirit and may be detected 
wherever the dogma of unintelligible mystery is at work. The name of this system is mystery. Its baneful effects began to be visible in the apostolic age. It was then styled the mystery of iniquity, which, as was predicted, has, like a canker, eaten out the truth. and has substituted in place thereof a civil and ecclesiastical constitution styled harlots and abominations of the earth, such as we behold on every side. Wisdom, say the scriptures, is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honour. When thou dost embrace her, she shall give thy head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. If thou wouldest, O reader, get this wisdom. Happy art thou if thou findest it, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all things which thou canst desire are not to be compared to her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. Proverbs 3 verse 14 to 18 before the Son of God set forth his apostles to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom in his name, he opened their understandings, that they might understand the, the scriptures. If thou wouldest gain the knowledge of the wisdom of God, which is so immeasurable, inestimable, and which is contained in the word they preached, thou must also be the subject of the same illumination. This is indispensable, for there is no obtaining of this commodity except through the scriptures of truth. There are able to, these are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for conviction, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the Man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. 2 Timothy 3, verse 15 and 17. What more dost thou want than perfection, and a crown of life, and glory in the age to come? Search the scriptures with the teachableness of a little child, and thy labour will not be in vain. Cast away the owls, cast away to the owls and to the bats the traditions of men, and the prejudices indoctrinated into the mind of by their means. Make the whole burnt offering of their creeds, confessions, catechisms, and articles of religion. And after the example of the Ephesian disciples, hand over your books and curious theological arts and burn them before all. Acts 19 verse 19. These mountains of rubbish.
have served the purposes of a dark and barbarous age. The word and the word of the living God alone can meet the necessities of the times. Let the example of the noble-minded Bereans be ours. They searched the scriptures daily to see if these things taught by the apostle were worthy of belief. Therefore they believed. Acts 17 verse 11 to 12. If then not even the preaching of an apostle was credited unaccompanied by scriptural investigation, it is not indefinitely more incumbent on us that we should bring it to a like test the opinions and precepts of the uninspired and fallible professional theologists of our day. Let us believe nothing that comes from the pulpit, the altar, or the press, not demonstrated by the grammatical sense of the scriptures. Let us be contented with nothing less than a thus it is written, or thus saith the Lord, for he has laid it down in his law that no one is worthy of belief who comes not who does not speak after this rule to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Isaiah 8 verse 20 If then their light be darkness, how great is that darkness? The scriptures can do everything for us in relation to the light. This is known, felt, and keenly appreciated by all interested in the support of error. Thence, in the days of Diocletian, one of the pagan predecessors of Constantine, a decree was issued commanding the surrender of all copies of the Holy Scriptures. For it was found that so long as they obtained circulation, the Christian doctrine could never be suppressed. The popes, as deadly and more insidious enemies of the truth than the pagan Roman emperors, followed the same example of Diocletian. The Bible and popery are as mutually hostile as the light of the sun and the thick darkness of Egypt that might be felt. But it is not paganism and popery alone that are practically hostile to a free, untrampled investigation of the word of God. The Protestant world, while it deludes itself with the concept that the Bible and the Bible alone is the religion of the Protestants, while it spends its thousands for its circulation among the nations in their native tongues, it itself is hostile to the belief and practice of what it proclaims. The Bible alone is not its religion. For if it were, why encumber its professors with the common prayer, 39 articles, and all other notions of a similar kind? To believe and practice the Bible alone would be a sufficient ground of exclusion from all orthodox churches. When Cunningworth uttered the sentiment, there was more truth in it then at this day. But now it is far from the fact that the Protestantism is the religion of Christ. To protest against error, such as Romanism, and to affirm that every man has the right to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience, is a very th- different thing to believing and obeying the gospel of the, of the kingdom of God and walking in all its institutions of the Lord blameless. To do this would uncharacterize a man in the estimation of state churches and sectarian dominations. 
For the Bible religion requires a man to contend earnestly for the faith once believed to the saints. Jude 3. Which in these times cannot be done without upheaving the very foundations of a self-complacent, self-glorifying, self-laudatory communions of the anti-papal constitution of things. It is true that no man or power has the right to intervene, interfere between God and the conscience. But it is also true that a man has a right to worship God as he pleases. This is a precedent fallacy. Man has a right to worship God only in the way God has himself appointed. In vain do you worship me, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. This is the judgment pronounced by the wisdom of God upon all worship which he has not instituted. He declares it to be vain worship, concerning which the apostle of the Gentiles says, Let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels. Be not subject to dogmatisms after the commandments and traditions of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in all will worship and humility. Colossians 2, 16, 23. These exhortations apply to all faith and worship, papal and Protestant. If Popery judges men's in meats, Protestantism, Protestantism doth the same in drinks, and in the Sabbath, though do judge men in holy days, and immovable feasts, and through Protestantism repudiates the worshipping of angels. It proclaims in its fasts, preparations, concerts, etc., a voluntary humility and celebration of saints and martyrs, renowned in legendary tales for the pride that apes humility. Let the reader search the scriptures from beginning to end, and he will nowhere find such systems of faith and worship as those comprehended in the papal and Protestant systems. The gospel of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, is not preached among them. Their communions, which are uncircumcised of heart, theological dissertations and texts called sermons, are substituted for reasoning out the scriptures. For expounding and testifying the kingdom of God and persuading men concerning Jesus, both out of the law and out of the prophets, Acts 28, 16, 23, and 31. Humorism, Swedbergenism, and all sorts of isms to which in apostolic times the world was a total stranger run right among them. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life have extinguished even the energy and zeal of the anti-papal religion out of which they have arisen. They are dead, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, and therefore the time has come to cut them off as a rotten branch from a good olive tree. Romans 11, 17, 20, and 22. Let therefore every man that would ensue the wrath which is begun and who would become an heir of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, save himself from the unholy, lifeless, efficate denominations of these latter days. By re remaining in them, a man partakes of their evil deeds, 
and subjects himself to the evil influences. The word of man has silenced the word of God in their midst, and religion has degenerated into a professional commodity, sold for cash according to the taste which most prevails the soul markets of the world. Let us then cease from men, whose breath is in their nostrils, for therein are they to be accounted of. They be blind leaders of the blind, in whom is no wisdom and no light, because they speak not according to the law and to the testimony of God. Let us repudiate their dogmatisms. Let us renounce their mysteries. Let us declare our independence of all human authority in the matters of faith and practice extra the word of God. The scriptures are able to make us wise, which the traditions of divines are not. Let us then come to these scriptures. We have the assurance that he who seeks shall find. Though we must also bear in mind that many shall seek to enter in but shall not be able. We must seek by the light of scripture and not permit that light to be obscured by high thoughts and vain imaginations which exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Great is the consolation that the wise shall understand and shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Be this then our happiness, to understand, believe and do, that we may be blessed in our deed and attain to the glorious liberty and manifestation of the sons of God. So the Bible then let us turn, as a light shining in a dark place, and with humility, teachableness and independence of mind, let us diligently inquire into the things which it reveals for the obedience and confirmation of the faith. The object before us then will be to present such a connected view of this truthful and wonderful book as will open the reader's eyes and enable him to understand it and expound it to others that he may become a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth and be able intelligently to contend for the faith and by turning many to righteousness to shine as the stars for ever and ever. In effecting this purpose, we must proceed as we would with any other book, or in teaching any of the arts and sciences, namely beginning at the beginning, or with the elements of things. This was the method adopted by the Spirit of God in the instruction of the Israelites by Moses. He began his revelations by giving them, and us through them, an account of the creation of the heavens and the earth, of animals and of man. This then would seem to be the proper place for us to start from. And as we have the system completely revealed, which they had not, we may extend our inquiries into the reason or philosophy of things further than they. Be this then our com commencement, and may the Lord himself prosper our endeavours to decipher and understand his will and testament and to disentangle them from her crude traditions and dogmatisms of contemporary theologies. Useful in their beginning as oppositions to the mystery of iniquity, but now waxed old and ready to vanish away, with the thing that they have antagonized, but which, through the consumptive of their civil and ecclesiastical tyranny of the image of the beast, have by their Losses in effect taken from the people the key of knowledge, and thus shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Our endeavour will be to restore this key, that they may understand the mysteries of the kingdom, 
and have right to the tree of life and enter in through the gates into the city. Revelation 22:14. And this we will do if God permit.